We tried an experiment a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to try it again today. And I know that this might go against the grain of what you think about with church. Most of the time when we come to church, one of, our, one of the things in our modern culture is to uh, you know, silence your cell phone, put away your cell phone, don't even bring your cell phone. Uh, well, today we're going to use your cell phone, at least for a few minutes. So if you have a cell phone and you do texting, I want you to pull that out. And uh, we're going to use that. We're going to ask you a question and ask you to text a response to it. Now, you know, you got to do the disclaimer, texting rates apply, and you know, all of that that you see people do. Um, but I want you to think about this question. With whom do you tend to have the most conflict? Family, friends, co-workers, someone in the church, or someone else that doesn't fit those categories. And you're going to text to 22333 and you use one of the codes. Do we have a bigger picture of that that gives the codes a little, little uh, more clearly? Yeah, that's better. So the first one is family, then friends, then co-workers, then someone at church, and then other. All right, so let's take a, a minute or so to have you respond to that. And it's really hot up here, so I'm going to take my coat off. I realize there's a little bit of overlap. You know, your friends may be at church or your coworkers may be at church. But pick where you, you know, the, the situation that's, you would say, fits the most. This is about the same trend of answers that we've had in each of the services. Now, when you're done, now's the time to turn off your cell phone or put it away. <laughs> we don't want any of this stuff while we're going through church today. This is pretty, pretty common. Uh, we are a, we, we've got it together as a church because we only have like about four of these answers to the whole morning. So we're perfect as a church. So I don't even know why we're dealing with this today. It's about family, you can tell. This was, and this is a trend. Family is by far the, the, the leader. And uh, co-workers and friends. In the second service, friends was a little higher. This service, uh, uh, co-workers a little bit higher. Other a little bit. But it's definitely family. And, and you would expect that because that's who we spend the most time with most of the time. So here's my question for you. When you think about that conflict, does it make you feel good about yourself? When you think about that conflict, does it, does it bring positive feelings to you? Are you happy about that conflict? Is it a positive thing for you? I would suspect we would say no. Most of the time, the conflict between family or friends or co-workers or in the church or in other situations, it's not something we relish. It's something we wish would change 
And it creates anxiety in us and difficulties in us and turmoil in us. Because we were not created for conflict. We were created to experience peace. And all throughout history, people have been trying to experience peace. And we do that in a variety of ways. And we, and we see some of that in the meanings of the word peace. In ancient cultures, the, the word peace was often, was often used in the sense of the elimination of conflict. I have peace in my heart. I have peace in my life because there is no conflict. I have finally gotten my life exactly in order. Everything is perfect. And I can just take a deep breath and that's peace. Well, first of all, if you have ever experienced life where everything is perfect, I want to talk to you afterwards about exactly how you did that. Because most of the time it's not. And even if we did have that brief moment where we think, okay, everything is right, it will only take seconds until it's not. But we yearn for that peace in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds, that if life would just not have turmoil and conflict and chaos, we would feel peace. Now, there is a sense of that inner peace that we get from God. Scriptures tell us, the scriptures tell us that, that God sends Christ and Christ comes and goes to the cross in order to give us peace. It is through Christ that we know peace with God. But that peace with God is not the elimination of troubles in our life. It is peace with God in spite of all the troubles and the difficulties and the struggles of life. But it is still a sense of peace in the midst of that. And there is this deeper deeper sense in our hearts and souls that despite what is happening in life, God is there. And we can make it. We can get through. But there is another way of understanding peace. And I think that most of the time, the peace that the scripture speaks of is less about that inner sense with God, though that's foundational to it. But what we find the scriptures talking about over and over again is not so much what's inside of us as what comes out of us. And we find, we find the scriptures admonishing us about our relationships. We find the scriptures talking to us about how we live with each other. And the call to peace. Isaiah's prophecy that we read earlier describes Jesus as the prince of peace. When we come to the New Testament and it tells us about the birth of Christ, we hear words of peace on earth. And goodwill to human beings. When we move on through the New Testament, just some samples. Paul writes in Romans 14 that we just read. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. And he's talking about relationships in the church. In Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts so that you can display peace. That's what you're called to. And Hebrews says, make every effort to live in peace with all people and be holy. And we find the writer of Hebrews 
connecting, living holy, and being people who work for peace. And Paul writes in the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I am convinced that at the heart of the fruit of the Spirit, what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to be embraced, to live in the Spirit, and to surrender to the Spirit is about relationships. The fruit coming out of us and affecting our relationships with each other. And peace is one of those dynamics. Now we all know we wrestle to be people who work toward peace. And why is that? Well, right before Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the acts of the sinful nature. And among that list of things that we might suspect would be there, he says hatred, discord, dissensions, factions, conflict. The opposite of peace. That's the sinful nature. In Proverbs 6... uh, The writer says that there are six, no wait, there are seven things that God hates. And in this list, when you get to the end, he says, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What is it about us that causes us to be people who stir up conflict in the community? Causes us to be people who create factions and dissension and anything but peace. I think there are some obstacles to peace that that we see in our lives and in our relationships. And one of them, probably foundational, is that we reject the fact that our faith is communal. We have a mindset that faith is just me and Jesus and no one else. And if other people are involved in my walk of faith, that's fine, but I can be a Christian without them. I'm okay without them. It's really, when you boil it down, it's just me and Jesus. And we see the church as peripheral. It's sort of an addendum to our faith. It's nice if it works, but you can take it or leave it. When we read the scriptures, we find that community is essential to faith development. Over and over and over again, our faith is described in terms of the community in which our faith is nurtured and in which our faith grows. If you don't really think that the church is all that important, if you don't think our relationship with other Christians is all that important, then why would you care about peace? It's just me and Jesus, so, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not important to us. I think another obstacle is our grasping for rights. You know, we want to get what we want. It's all about my rights. We hear this all the time in our culture and in society. And often, this is how the church addresses culture and society. We talk about Christian rights, which in my opinion is an oxymoron. Because when we become followers of Christ, we're giving up our rights. Because we follow the one about whom Paul said, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took the nature of a servant and went to the cross. No one had the, had 
the right to grab his rights like Jesus. But instead of grabbing them, he emptied himself in order to accomplish what God called him, the Father called him to do. But we are enamored with rights. Often rights are the result of our fears. We're afraid that we're going to be taken advantage of. We're afraid that something's going to happen to us that we don't want to happen. And we, are, we live in a culture in which you get things done by power, by asserting your rights. And in the church, it's the opposite. It's about sacrifice. I also think one of the obstacles to peace is that we are more enamored with telling people what we think than listening to what other people have to say. You can't create peace when, all, when the whole mindset is, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. And we come to a relationship, we come to discussions, we come to conversations without ever thinking, they might have something to teach me. There may be something that God is saying through them to me that I need to hear. But because we're so enamored with making sure they get our opinion, that they get our ideas, we spend all of our energy convincing them that we are right and probably that they are wrong. There is no place, no room in us to hear God through another person. I suspect there's something of that going on in our government right now. And the dysfunction that we see in Washington. Nobody comes thinking maybe there's something true about what they're saying. And of course that leads us to think about agendas. And the reason we talk so much is because we're so enamored with our agenda. We've got to get our agenda across. We're all about my agenda. We've got to make sure we do what I want to do. And we bring that into the church. We're going to make decisions based on what I want, what I think is most important. And there is no sense of what is the best for the common good. Or even more so, what is best for that person instead of just what I think is best for me. And when that's our mindset, who cares about peace? It's about getting what I want. And ultimately, that leads us to a mindset that we deny, but it's true, that the end justifies the means. We have this end in mind that we know is right, and it's, it's good, and it's about God. And whatever we have to do to get to that end is fair game. And if we have to trample people to get to the right end, so be it. If we have to use people to get to the right end, so be it. Because the point is, it's the end. And we've forgotten that God is all about the means. God's all about the process. Because if the process isn't right, if we aren't thinking about Christ in the way in which we are living our lives and the way we get to the end, we'll never get to the right end. God works in us in the process. And if it's all about about just getting to the end, peace has nothing to do with it. We'll trample people. In fact, this has been one of the issues of the church through the centuries. We even believe that violence is okay to get us to the right end. And you and I don't typically use violence in the same way that maybe the church has done through the centuries. 
But we do it in our own subtle ways. The letters we write, the way we talk to each other, or the way we ignore each other, the way we punish each other and judge each other, all of those are, are, are sort of hidden ways that we do violence to each other. Subtle ways. But they are just as destructive for us as much as anyone else. The solution then is to think about what removes the obstacles? What's the alternative? And I think when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, I think he is echoing what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us is a commitment to be peacemakers. Now, it has to start with the fruit in us. It has to start with the Spirit in us, the Spirit working in us, the Spirit moving in us and and controlling us. And the fruit comes out of us because of the Spirit in us. But our responsibility is to prepare and nurture the soil of our hearts so that when the Spirit plants the seeds of peace in us, they come up. Because if we don't want them to grow, they won't. It's an openness to the Spirit. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, every time I think about that particular beatitude, my mind goes back to the scene in Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Some of you may have seen that. You know, of course, Monty Python's out there, they're crazy. But it's a scene of reenacting the Sermon on the Mount. and, And there's a group of people standing a long ways from Jesus. And they can't hardly hear what he's saying. And they're arguing about what he said. And finally... Someone says, what did he say? And the guy in front of this couple turns around and says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And the woman says, blessed are the cheesemakers? What does that have to do with anything? Why why the cheesemakers? And her husband says, well, it's not that you you don't take that literally. I'm sure he means anyone who works in the dairy industry at all, you know. And and you, you watch that and you think, this is just stupid. It's ludicrous. I need you to think about sitting there hearing Jesus in first century Palestine say, blessed are the peacemakers? Really? Jesus, you don't understand. In our world, things get done with power. Things get done because you have the might. Things get done because you will do anything that you need to do to get them done. Peacemakers, that's how you get blessed? You just don't understand how things work. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, how often we get sucked into the trap of believing things get done in our world, things get done in the church because of power, because of our rights, because of all the ways in which we get what we want instead of being peacemakers. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers For they will be called the children of God. And I read a number of years ago, someone said, what he's really saying is peacemaking is the family business. You're a child of God. You're a peacemaker. It's what you do. When the spirit is in you, when you're committed to the way of Christ, you're a peacemaker. It's a passion you have. It's a desire in your life that you want to be a peacemaker. Are we perfect at it? Of course not. 
But something in us has to desire to want to be a peacemaker. So how do we do that? What does it look like? How do we cultivate peace in the soil of our hearts? In his book, Life on the Vine, Philip Kennison says that for one thing, we need to remember our baptism. Now, for a lot of us, that's kind of an odd way to talk because we don't think in those terms about baptism being something that we connect to our everyday lives. It's an event we went through at one point in our lives, and we sort of leave it there. And we don't think that much about it until maybe we witness someone else's baptism. But the reality is, when we are baptized, we are declaring, I'm dying to self. And it's all about Jesus. And you will hear in our church as people share their testimony, as they're baptized, you will hear people say over and over again, this is about what God has done in my life and I want to surrender my life to him now and forever. And it's so easy for us to forget that. We, when we remember our baptism, we're reminding ourselves that being a follower of Jesus is about dying to self. It's about sacrifice. It's about giving ourselves away that baptism symbolizes. He says we ought to encourage one another. Our natural inclination in a lot of our conflicting circumstances, and especially with people with whom we have a conflict, is not to encourage them. It's to find everything we can to nitpick at them and to judge them. And to let them know we're right and they're wrong. But peacemakers keep thinking, how can I speak a word of encouragement to this person? How can I build them up? In what ways can I pray for God to bless them? And then we admonish one another. That may seem out of place. Because encouragement and admonishment seem like opposite sides of the same thing, but they're not. Because if we love people and we see them running toward destruction, we do something about it. Now, here's the catch. We do something about it in the right spirit. Because often our admonitions are out of a spirit of hate or anger or frustration or making sure that, that people know they're wrong and we're right. But that's not biblical admonitions. Admonitions in the biblical peacemaking sense are always rooted in our love for one another and our compassion for each other and wanting what's best for each other. And probably the most profound means of being a peacemaker is forgiving one another. Now we're talking about some hard stuff. We come to conflict, we come to relationships with a spirit of forgiveness. You know, often when we think about peacemaking, we have this image in our minds of standing between two conflicting parties. And we are the mediator in this conflict. And sometimes we end up in those roles. Sometimes we are in a role where we are in the middle and trying to mediate two groups of people or two people who are not getting it, not getting along, they're in conflict and we get in those roles. But most of the time, when the scripture is talking about caring about peace, working for peace, and we talk about being a peacemaker, most of the time, 
we're a part of the conflict. We might have even started the conflict. At the very least, we've thrown gasoline on the conflict. We have to take responsibility for making it worse and not better. And being a peacemaker is acknowledging our role and asking forgiveness. And forgiving others, whether they ask us or not. Praying for God to give us grace to forgive them. But this role of, of forgiving one another, start we have, as peacemakers, we start it. We take the first step. Remember what Jesus says, if you're praying at the altar one day and you realize that you have something against another person, go make it right. No, actually, that's not what he says. He says, if you're praying at the altar and you remember somebody has something against you, you go make it right. You go take the first step. Because that's what peacemaking is about. It's about taking that first step, going to people and saying, whatever I have done to make this situation worse, please forgive me. Forgive me that I didn't even realize I was doing it. Forgive me that I was blind to it. Forgive me for whatever has happened. That's my role in this. Forgive me. You talk about vulnerability. That's vulnerability. Because the people who, to whom we go might say to us, hey, that, thank you. Please forgive me. And it ends up perfect. And it's awesome. But they might not. They might turn around and walk away from us. They might figuratively spit in our faces. But that's not, we're not called, we can't do anything about that. We're just called to take that initial step of peacemaking. To ask forgiveness. To start it. To begin. You know, there's... Ever since sin entered the world, there's been a conflict between God and us. Separation between us. And the truth is, God didn't have anything to do with it. We're a culprit. We, we are culpable for the whole thing. All of it's on us. Every bit of it is on us. But when reconciliation, steps of reconciliation are taking, who starts it? God does. Again and again and again. And ultimately to the cross. This is one of the hardest things in the world for me to talk about because I know my struggle with being willing to take first steps about forgiveness. And I suspect you're not all that different than me. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard because it feels like we're losing. It feels like we're in a position of weakness. And we know what our culture and society does when they smell weakness. And it feels like we're going to get trampled on. And we may well. Because it's dangerous being a peacemaker. You can get hurt being a peacemaker. But it's the fruit of the Spirit in each of our lives.
Go back to that first question that we answered. And you think about the conflict that came to your mind as you were pondering that question. What might God be saying to you about being a peacemaker? Please pray with me. Father, speak to us in this moment of silence. Lord, we pray that you will give us a passion to be peacemakers through your spirit. Work in our hearts. Work in our minds. Give us grace and strength and everything we need that the fruit of your spirit would be seen in us as your children. We're living out the family business through the grace of Christ. Amen. There are three things that I want to offer to you in ways that you might respond to what God may be saying to you. One of them is these little cards. There are cards at the outside end in the middle of each of your rows. And I want you to pass those to the people who are seated in your row. Make sure everyone gets one. I mentioned that we are looking at the connecting literal fruit to the fruit of the Spirit. And today, you look in the back, you can see that on the facing of the balcony, there's strawberries for love and watermelons for joy. Think about picnic and having fun eating that. And today it's the pear. And there are a couple reasons why we've picked the pear for peace. Uh, yeah, one of them is you can spell pear, P-A-I-R, and it has a pear. And so you're talking about two people who might be in conflict with each other. But the other thing is that the pear is, it, it's sort of, the, it's a kind of fruit that's usually, it's not too tart, it's not too sweet. And it's usually not the center of the dish. You know, it, it's usually the complement to the dish. And that's what peacemakers are. We're not looking for recognition. We're just trying to be the presence of God to bring peace, to influence for peace. So what I want you to do is today, I would encourage you to do it today. Take this card and write something on it that God may be speaking to you about. Maybe a person's name, might be a situation. It might be something. Whatever God is saying to you, write it on there and keep that in front of you this week. I want to challenge us to take five minutes every day to pray for God to cultivate a spirit of peace in each of our lives. To give us a passion about being peacemakers.
Whatever that may mean for each one of us. And this morning, if, if you're sitting there thinking, I really need to do something about what I'm feeling right now. Immediately after the service, some of the elders, some of the pastoral staff will be downstairs by the prayer room and they're there to listen to you and to pray with you if you would like to do that today. Sometimes the moment is right now and you need to take advantage of that. So as soon as the service is done, you can go right down the back steps and then down to the basement. Right there's the prayer room and, and there are people there who will pray for you, listen to you and, and, and give you an opportunity to settle some things right now this morning as we conclude our worship. Let me invite you to stand as we sing together the closing hymn, praying, May the mind of Christ my Savior.